the Gospel of John chapter 4. You know, one of the greatest responsibilities that we have as followers of Jesus Christ is to share him with others. To share the love of God is to share Christ, to share him with others. And that is one of the greatest responsibilities that we have. It's what we call evangelism. And uh, sharing the truth that God forgives. He's a forg- Though he's holy, 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 and he's perfect and he's righteous, he, he also forgives. The, the God of Islam does not do that. The God of other religions, their gods are not a forgiving God. There's, there's no concept of grace in other religions. But the God of the Bible, who manifests himself in the incarnation, the person of Jesus Christ, we learn is a forgiving and a redeeming God. And this is the purpose of John's letter. That's why we've parked in the Gospel of John. That's why we're working our way through it chapter by chapter and paragraph by paragraph. As a matter of fact, you get to the end of John, and it says this in verse 31, but these have been written. I've I've included these things in this Gospel. I've incorporated these things into this Gospel so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Everything that John has included in this gospel is for that end, for that purpose. In our passage this morning, in chapter 4, verses 27 through 42, we learn four principles about evangelism. Jesus has spent some personal time with Nicodemus in chapter 3. He has now spent some personal time with the woman at the well earlier on in chapter 4. But now you've got these different dialogues going on here. And we're going to learn four basic uh, evangelistic principles from this passage of Scripture. So please stand together with me. I think we got the right one up. 27 through 42? Yes, I got it right. I'm always using New American Standard. But let's read. follow with me in your Bibles as I read this aloud. Verse 27. At this point, the disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek, or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot. I would too if those guys came along with that attitude. Never mind. That was, a, that was an injection. Okay, that wasn't it's okay. And went into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did they? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do do you not say, there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, and they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps has received wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice, what, together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. The scene changes in verse 39. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because the word of the woman who testified, he told me, quote, he told me all the things that I have done, end of quote. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, 
quote, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and know this one is indeed the Savior of the world. End of quote. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you for this passage of Scripture. Thank you for this story. Thank you that the Spirit inspired John to write this down for the benefit of the church to even 2,000 years later that we might understand from the example of our Savior how to approach people to share Christ, how to share our testimony, how to bring people to the truths of your word, and how we are to minister to all kinds of people from different backgrounds, and that we are not to be partial or show favor. Lord God, we hold the answer to the problem of this world, and it's not found in works, but it's found in a person. It's found in Jesus, the Savior of the world. Equip us, Lord God, your people, your church. Equip us with the gospel so that as we go to about, to and fro, about our day, at work and from work, at home and with our neighbors, we are equipped to share your love with them. And that love is not a theory. And God, that love is just not some, something nebulous. It's not just an idea. It is a real person. He is your son. In Christ, we find your love. Equip us to share that. Use this morning for that purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Four things this morning, and I feel a little pushed. So the service does go till 1.15, as you all know. So we got plenty of time left. <clears throat> yeah, that was a joke. Okay. Pastoral humor. Anyway, let's get on with it. Number one, have the right attitude. Have the right attitude. I glean that from verse 27 and then verses 31 through 38. And have the right attitude towards people, number one. The key to evangelism is having the right attitude towards people, but also having the right attitude towards God. That's number one here. Look at verse 27. At this point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he had speaking with a woman. They're an example of a bad attitude. That's how I label this. Jesus was talking to a woman, and they were aghast that he, that he was doing that. So when they got there, they're wondering, what are you doing? But yet they would not ask, what do you seek, or why do you speak with her? Okay, I think they were so consumed with their tradition, with their culture, with their frame of mind, they just kind of blocked that out. Or they were, they were afraid to question Jesus because he was the master. But anyway, Jesus is the positive, good example of what kind of attitude we are to have towards not just a woman, but a Samaritan woman. Not just a Samaritan woman, but a Samaritan woman who was living a sinful lifestyle, as we learned last week. I love the disciples' reaction. They were in amazement. They were amazed. This is not normal that you would do this. Why were they so amazed in verse 27 that he was speaking with a woman first? It was due to this fact. In that culture, men did not esteem women. They did not. We learned last week that they treated them as property. They had no esteem for women in the first century. Many rabbis believed that it was a waste of time to talk theology or Old Testament with women. They, many rabbis, that is, teachers, believed in that day, in the Jewish custom, in that life, that, that 
We won't even teach them the Torah or the law. Jesus teaches us right here. He illustrates for us right here that women have just as much right to learn Scripture and theology and doctrine and to engage them in conversation than men. That's where he's going here. Second, she was a Samaritan. There's another thing that really griped the disciples. Well, she had bad theology. We learned that last week. That they worshiped at Gerizim on this mountain, but you worship the Jews worship in where? Jerusalem. And I'll avoid going through all that history that we did last week, but you understand that they had basically bad theology. The Samaritans only held to the five books of the Old Testament. The Jews, the whole thing. The Jews looked at the Samaritans as being liberals in their theology. Is maybe a good way of putting it. She was also unclean. Almost all Jews, in order to go from the Jerusalem area to Galilee, would go not through Samaria, but would go around it because they were afraid that they would get tainted with their corruption, with their uncleanliness. But Jesus led his disciples right through to a point where he parked at a well and met this woman. Third, she lacked moral character. Don't we all? Period. Don't we all? Now, now, the disciples might or might not have understood this. Uh, commentaries debated this, but I, I think they, by looking at her, knowing it was the noon, knowing that she was there alone, maybe how she was dressed, maybe they kind of got an idea that she lived in a moral lifestyle, but here's the truth, Jesus knew. He's the one that says, you've been with five men, and the one you're living with now, you're living now, he's not even your husband. But Jesus what? In spite of her being a woman, a Samaritan, and living a, a immoral lifestyle still engaged her. Wow. Still, here it is, here it is, folks, cared enough to talk with her, to initiate the conversation. We kind of look at people and they look downtrodden. Maybe it's a person on the corner. I've done this in my own attitude, in my own heart. You look at someone and they're down and out and you kind of like, you kind of walk away. You ever done that? Maybe you've done it in your heart. Maybe you've done it in thought. But Jesus sat down next to the well. He said, we can give me some water. He initiated. He engaged, not her. So he had the right attitude towards people. You see, he looked beyond the skin. He, he looked beyond the look and the clothing. And so when you do that, whether you're rich or poor, you, you see that people are all the same on the inside, that we all have a sin nature on the inside, and that's what connects humanity no matter what country you're from, no matter what culture you're from, no matter your customs, right? We all have the S-I-N virus, and therefore we need Christ no matter what we look like on the outside, no matter where we've been, no matter what kind of lifestyle you are living, that person is living, they need Christ. This is, that's what it means to have the right attitude towards people. And obviously Christ himself is the example of having this godly attitude towards people. Wow. 
You see, folks, we can't get so caught up in the culture that we lose perspective. We get so caught up in, in what the world gets caught up in and all the differences that we lose perspective of why Christ came. That we don't lose perspective that in the end of the story, and the Bible gives us the end of the story, that people from every tongue and every tribe and every nation will be in heaven. That means it's going to be multicultural. It's going to look different. But we'll all be worshiping Christ. And that's why you back up to chapter 3, and Jesus says you must be born again. I don't care who you are. You can be a rich, intelligent theologian like Nicodemus in chapter 3, or you can be an immoral woman, Samaritan woman in chapter 4. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter who you are. Both of you and everybody in between needs Christ. We also have to have the right attitude towards God. Not just the right attitude towards people, but the right attitude towards God. This comes from verses 31 through 38. Verses 31 through 38. I, I love this. This comes from the disciples having a concern for Jesus' welfare. Okay? He, he's thirsty. They're at the well. It's the middle of the day. They left to go get him some food. They come back. Okay, and they see him talking to this woman, and I think this all happened within a matter of seconds. They come with this attitude. She's there. He just got done telling her, I am the Messiah. Okay, in verse 24, 25, 26, I who speak to you am he. I am the Messiah. They come right there at that moment. They've got this negative attitude, and I think she detects it. She drops her water pot. Doesn't take her water pot with it. She just drops it, and she goes. And she wants to tell her friends. We'll get back to that in a minute. And so the disciples share this concern. Jesus, you need to eat. Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. We're concerned for you. They're not misplaced. This is good. But Jesus seizes this moment. He seizes these words that they, they're, they're concerned for him, and he uses it to teach them of a bigger, greater appetite that he has. It's more than physical sustenance. He's saying, I am the eternal sustenance that people need to have eternal life. Listen, let's follow with this little conversation. But he said to them in verse 32, I have food to eat that you do not know about. I have an appetite. I have a hunger that you don't even know about. You're, you're, you're talking about physical food. I have something else here. Notice 33. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? They're still thinking, where's the bread? You know, where, did you get bread somewhere? You know, what are you talking about? They're thinking physical food. Verse 34, he seizes it and explains himself. Jesus said to them in verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work i've come to redeem i've come to forgive i've come to draw men to the father that's my purpose that is my food that is my sustenance that that is my hunger and my thirst it's more important than physical food physical food just keeps your physical life going the food that i give you will last forever and ever and ever Hence, Jesus' conversation with the women 
in the earlier verses of chapter 4, I give you living water, sustaining water that results into eternal life. Verse 35, he says this, do you guys not say, this is what you do say. It's kind of like a, a principle he's pointing out to. It's an agrarian example. They said, there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Don't you say that? You plant some seed in four months, you got a harvest. You say that, don't you? Okay. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. That they are white for harvest. I don't know at this moment he was looking at a field over to the right or to the left. Or maybe there was a lot of people around him and he was pointing to the people. That's what I think he was doing. Look at the folks around you. Look at how different they are. Look at them, whether it's a Nicodemus or whether it's a Samaritan woman, whether it's a person that has, that has stature in, in the community or a person that has no stature whatsoever. Look at the people around you with the right attitude. They are white for harvest. Verse 36, already he who reaps is receiving wages. And is gathering fruit for eternal life. I think those wages are eternal wages. They're not earning salvation. But what they're doing is for the Lord. It's not going to be wood, hay, and stubble, that which is going to be consumed in the end. But it's like gold. That which reaches the nostrils of God and pleases Him. I got a question. Will there be, and here's a tough one, will there be anyone in heaven that you know that you shared the gospel with? Or you get there and you'll find nobody around that you share the gospel with? Let's begin with our own families. Let's begin with our children. Let's begin with our aunts and uncles. And let's begin also with our neighbors or coworkers. Will there be anyone in heaven as a result of maybe you just planting a seed and not necessarily harvesting? Why? So that, here's the purpose, verse 36, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Listen, listen. The, 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 we evangelize knowing a couple of things. Number one, the Spirit's out there working. That's going to be point number three, and that's where our confidence comes from. But also knowing that there's people that have gone before us that have introduced people to the gospel. And it might be the third or the fourth or the fifth or the sixth person finally in that life that will end up what? reaping what others have sown. I think he's thinking about John the Baptist here. He's talking to his disciples, and John and his disciples, they've been planting seeds. I mean, that would be applicable to them. Verse 37, for in this case, what I'm saying is this. It's true. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap, verse 38, that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. It's a both and, not an either or. You can share the gospel a hundred times and not lead anyone to the sinner's prayer. But that's okay. You are not a failure. You're a seed planter. But so and so talked to the, shared the gospel with this person a couple, you know, just last week and they trusted Christ. I've been talking for months, if not years to this person about the gospel and they didn't respond to me. Folks, it's up to the Lord. It's Christ's church. He draws them. But know this, 
It's never in vain. Never in vain. Right here, it's a both and. Take comfort with that. What we have here in chapter 4, I want us to realize this, is the unfolding of what Jesus told Nicodemus in chapter 3, in particular verse 8. Listen to this, John 3, 8. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is out there moving, drawing people to Christ The Holy Spirit is convicting people of sin, and he uses you and I as as means by which he will draw them to Christ. As As we share our testimony, as we share the truths of the gospel, the Spirit is already out there working in people, drawing, probing, and prodding. That's where our confidence comes from. It doesn't come from me being or you being a dynamic speaker. Or being dynamically one-on-one with people. Well, I've got the personality that's able to just draw people into the kingdom. No. God chose the weak things of this world. The base people of this world to do his work. He didn't save anybody because they're dynamic. we got to get out of this mindset that God needs these wonderful, powerful personalities and people to get his work done. That is hogwash. Yeah, I said it. That's a lie. You know what that does? It just suppresses you. Because you're going to be like me and think, well, I'm not as good as that preacher or that pastor. I'm not as good as that Christian or holier than that person. You see, Satan loves to use that in our minds to, to shut us up. Right? You know what God wants? Faithfulness. He wants us to pursue holiness and and to be faithful with the message. To pursue godliness and be faithful with the message at home with our children. Whoever we rub shoulders with. So that when we share the gospel, we're we're sharing it with sharing the gospel that is changing my life. That's how powerful it is. And so they're not just words that come out of my mouth. There are words that are molding and shaping me into the image of Christ. Number three, don't be afraid to use your personal testimony. This comes from the women sharing, the, the woman, the Samaritan woman sharing her testimony with the men. Verse 28. Listen to this. So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? She's kind of questioning it, questioning it, is it? But I think she's doing it with hope, hoping that he is. There's this anticipation of maybe this is the one. Maybe he is the Messiah. Maybe he is telling me the truth. After all, this guy never met him before, and he knows me. He knows how many husbands I've had, quote, and knows who I'm living with now, and wow. And based on her testimony, verse 30, they went out to the city and they went to come to see Jesus. Don't be afraid to use your personal testimony. Despite your background, well, I'm not worthy. Well, I come from this background. 
I have these struggles. Well, you know what? Let me, how about this? You're not going to meet anybody that doesn't have problems. You're not going to meet anybody that doesn't have issues. You're not going to meet anybody that hadn't had a sin struggle or two or three or 10 or 20 or 50. It's not about how good we are. It's about how great God is. It's about where sin is. Grace abounds all the more. Amen? That's what it's about. That's why Jesus wasn't concerned with how immoral that woman was because he knew his grace could overabound that woman's life no matter how sinful it was. And yours too. And anyone we talk with. I mean, I can think of her right now. When she went and talked to these men, the Samaritan, she dropped her water pots and went, and she's going, is this not the Messiah, is it? He, he talked with me. He initiated with me. He, he, he knew I was a Samaritan. I'm a woman. He knew I had five husbands. Never, never met this guy before in my life. And even knows right now, I'm living with this guy over here, he, he knew all this about me. And he asked me for water. He engaged me. Of all, out of all the people in the world that he could talk to, he talked to me. You see? She had to be amazed. Of all the people, of all the important people he could have talked with in this world, even in that culture, in that town, he talked with her, an unclean woman. Nobody else would have anything to do with me, but Jesus came to me, and he cared for me. No one else cared for me. No one else would have anything to do with me. They were afraid that they would be unclean if they touched me or even engaged in conversation with me. But he cared enough to speak the truth to me. See, that's her testimony to these guys in Samaria, to these men that she went and told Listen, listen, everyone, every Christian has a testimony. And a testimony is simply this. Let me just play this out for a second. It's the circumstances surrounding that day or that week or that hour where God was dealing with your heart and you came to Christ and and you repented of your sins and you trusted him as Lord and Savior. Your testimony is the circumstances around that. Everybody has a testimony. And it's going to fluctuate person to person, right? Our testimonies are going to fluctuate a little bit. But here's what's constant. Here's what stays the same. Those truths of the gospel that save us, they're the same from person to person to person, even though the testimonies fluctuate. Remember that. Don't be afraid to use your personal testimony, number three, like the woman did with these men. Number four, you must use the word of God. As a matter of fact, we'll close with this. The purpose of personal testimony is to bring people to the truths of God's word. And that's what I have here this morning before you. If you, what do you want to start with? You want to start with people, you know, sometimes you got to back way up with people today. And they, they doubt the Bible. They don't even know if God exists. They're atheists or they're agnostic or whatever. And so you got to kind of start there. But when you run into people, And that's another lesson for another day. But when you're engaging people and and they believe that, yeah, you know, we just didn't happen here. 
there is a God. I don't know who he is, but I believe there is one. Where do you start? You say, let me share a few things about, well, at least what the Bible has to say. And here's why I use the Bible as a reference, because there's no other book about it like it, okay? There's nothing like it. And, and you can point to how, how just in a short little conversation, here's a couple of facts that will sweep them off their feet a little bit. Number one, there's 66 books of the Bible written over a 1,500-year period by about 50 authors, okay? There's no other book like that, and yet the continuity of this book from beginning to end. How about this? All the, all the prophecies in the Old Testament talking about Jesus' first coming, fulfilled. How, how does that happen? The odds of that are one in millions. Start there. So try to get them to understand, well, here's why I want to share some verses of the Bible with you. This is why I hold this book in such esteem. It's my authority, and here's why. Because of what it is. And these people, by the way, of these 50 people who were involved in writing the Old and New Testament... They came from three different continents. How in the world could this Bible come together like this? And who is the number one character throughout all of it in all six, six Bibles? Jesus Christ. He's in Genesis 1, by the way. Creation. And he's in the end in Revelation and all the way through. Okay? Start there. And then you get to the point where, well, therefore, what does he have to say about you and I? Include yourself. How did I learn I was a sinner? And if people struggle with that, a lot of people will go, well, I'm a pretty good person. I'm okay. I never hurt anybody. I've never been to jail. I've never committed a crime. And I'm into social causes. I I help. I I donate to this organization, this organization. I'm really a good person, kind of like the rich young ruler. What they're doing at that point is they're comparing apples with apples, human to human. And I can always find somebody worse than me, and I can always find somebody better than me. But that's not what the Bible does. The Bible is this, God saying, here's my perspective of you, right? Here's how I look upon you. There's none who does good, no, not one. Why does God say that? The Ten Commandments is a great place to start. Thou shalt not lie. Have you ever told a fib? Thou shalt not steal. Honor your parents. Is there ever a moment in my life that I've ever dishonored my mother and father? Yeah, okay, fall short of that one. Have I ever told a lie? Yes. Once. Well, you're still guilty if it's only one time. It's been a lot more than that. Uh, You know, you just walk them through that to get them to say, have you ever committed adultery? No, that one I haven't done. Well, Jesus took that little commandment in chapter 5 and 6 of Matthew, and he said, "Let let me expound on that for a moment. Have you ever had lusted after another person? Well, then you're guilty of adultery. You don't have to actually do the physical act of it, but if you've toyed with it in your mind, you fall short of that one too. And then James comes along and says what? If you faulted the law at one point, you're guilty of everything. Why? Because God is holy. And that's the point. And because God is holy, we need a Savior that can deal with my sin with your sin. And that's what the rest of these verses are about. As a result of us falling short of God's glory, okay, violating God's law, for the wages of sin is death, right here. For, uh, number one, verse three, excuse me, for all have sinned, first of all. No one escapes falling short of God's commands. For all have sinned. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. The Romans 5.8 says God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
You see how you walk your way through the simplicity of the gospel? That's what we do here. I started the message this morning by saying one of the greatest responsibilities we have as the church of Jesus Christ is to share the love of Christ. It's called the gospel. This is it. And in case at this point people are still stuck on their good works, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not a result of your works, lest anyone should boast. In other words, salvation in Christ. What God does in Christ eliminates all boasting, period. I can't even come to you and say, I'm going to heaven because I believed and you didn't. We learned in John chapter 3, the reason why I believe is because the Spirit was doing a work in my heart. Without that work, I would never have believed. It's all, listen to this, it's all of grace. All of God's grace. And so we'll close with this. Jesus himself said in 14.6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Acts 4.12, there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. In 1 Timothy 2.5, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. It's all because of him. And that's what worship is all about. Let's go full circle. That's why we come together on Sundays. That's why we praise our Lord and we adore him so much because his love, it just, it just, it just deals with our sin for all eternity. His grace covers your sin and all everybody else's. So with the children coming in, with that in mind, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. Thank you for just the truths of the gospel. God, I pray that just with your grace, with your power, with the confidence of Christ, knowing that your spirit is out there working, that you would give us this confidence to share Christ with somebody that's been on our hearts. God, put a burden of people on our hearts. May we pray for that burden. May we pray for that love for others that compels us to go talk to them about the Savior of the world. God, we love you, but we must end by thanking you for first loving us, apart from which we would never love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.